This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 537 for December 7th, 2016. Folks, welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleisch from the senior contributor at this fine publication. Uh, and joining me is executive editor of Macworld, Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Good. I, I got a question for you. Uh, yeah. So, foxes, boxes, locks, and talks. TikTok clocks. Would you wear a fox on a box? Um, this is all my nonsense because I was very amused by the, it was a top 10, what was it, the slideshow, the weirdest gifts, the strangest items. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hero if you go to Macworld.com. Gifts for people that you weren't sure that you like. Exactly. And one of them was a thing that I wasn't sure what it was at first because it's kind of furry looking and a little strange. What were your first guesses? I can't say them on a proper podcast. Oh, and then no. no, I'm just kidding. Your mind just, went there right I away, huh? I just could not identify what it was. It was pink and furry and and had a little it was just confusing Susie I thought the little hole for the camera was know, the, the was dead little, giveaway it was all a little um, slightly embarrassing and then I clicked through and it just, tur- just turns out it's a real fox fur not faux fox fur real fox fur uh, it's hand assembled by like fur artisans. Hand assembled, true fox fur. It's 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 blue fox, which isn't actually blue, but it's you know a kind of fox, and it's been dyed pink. The whole so thing is. So it's a very luxurious. It oh costs three hundred and eighty-five dollars on it's the a, open oh, market. It's an iPhone um, case. I'm sorry, we didn't mention it's an it's iPhone, iPhone case. case. It's a case it's for the fox. iPhone Seven. You can wrap your oh, iPhone Seven in luxurious do pink fox fur. Don't do this. Faux fox fur, maybe. Full Fathom 5, my faux fox for I mean, lives. everything in that list, which was like my favorite list ever, um, everything oh, in that man. list, that's the only thing that I'm like, okay, not going to lie. I kind of want it. Oh, I would not buy it for myself, but um, if you know it happened to appear under my tree with my name on it, that would be fine. Well, I just read they're reintroducing fishers in uh, Washington State, which is a kind of uh, pelt-bearing animal that uh, was hunted to extinction. So I have feelings about taking pelts and fur. Oh. I've never owned an actual fur item before, but I don't. So I don't know like what makes me want this one. I think just that it's pink. I think I would like it as much if it was faux fur, and maybe I should you know research those options. But um, I'm you know technically not going to buy it at all because it would get really dirty. I think, and like this one, I mean, you have to dry clean, and I'm not willing to dry clean an iPhone case. Well, you know, years since ago, I dress myself basically in rags. I, I lived in Maine <laughs> for a few years, in the early '90s, and I bought a fur hat with that folded down. It was like like one of those Russian hats. It was great. It was very warm. And I brought it with me to Seattle and I wear it to, on a cold day to an office, this company I was running. And two of my employees look up and they look with horror. And they say, you're wearing fur, which I actually hadn't thought about. Like my consciousness had not been raised. And I'm like, oh my God. And I said, yeah, but it was made in China. So you should probably more worry that it was made by Chinese prisoners because at that time there was a big scandal about Chinese prison labor, forced labor. I'm like, there's kind of multiple ethical issues with this hat. Fortunately, it started shedding unexpectedly, literally started shedding like an animal a few years later and like dropped its fur. And I was like, okay, my ethical dilemma is done and I will never buy a true fur hat again. Yeah, I tend to I, I buy some of that like really cheap clothing that I guess mm-hmm. is a big problem for the world. So that's the thing I really like. It's not you know I'm not I'm not killing animals, but I'm it's actually probably worse. The moral um, is you should feel bad about all your purchases. You should, and I do, I do. I feel very bad about everything. Rest assured. So. Great, let's talk about buying things then in this episode. All right, uh, <laughs> this is folks, a good one already. We're slightly punchy. <laughs> yeah, both have colds. Here we go. We're, we're not going to talk more about faux or real fur. My son uh, has pink eye. We could talk about that. The, oh, I'm so sorry. It's so terrible. Uh, we, <laughs> if anyone wants to take a bet as to when or whether I will get pink eye, like the lines are open. As long as he doesn't have Coxsackie, that's, that is the worst one. 
Uh, hand, like hand, if foot, I get mouth. pink eye, I'll put some green food coloring in there too, so it looks very crispy. Oh, so now we've lost all the listeners, and we talk about anything we want. <laughs> uh, follow up on the iPhone six battery problem. Uh, we have an article up that other uh, people have problems too, including have problems. their iPhone six S batteries. Pink iPhone six S. Sorry, it has. We have an article up that has a link to Apple's page, which has a little more information, and a link to Apple's page where you can punch in your serial number and uh, figure out if you qualify, like I do. If you uh, visit that page from an iPhone, will it just tell? Uh, I don't know that Apple sends. That's a very interesting question. Um, for privacy reasons, I suspect it won't pre-fill. I'm trying to remember what Apple will send. Because uh, getting the serial number to copy and paste it can be kind of a chore sometimes. Yeah, because you have to go into uh, settings, a general, about, and the serial number's there. Or if you have microscopic vision, you can read it off the back if you aren't wearing it, you don't have a case on it. Um, you can also plug it into iTunes and you can click the, uh, there's a spot you click, I forgot what it is, and it will uh, display the serial number in iTunes and you can copy it from there as well. It's a little trick. Yeah, well, if you click it again to try to copy it, it yeah. goes away, but you can go up to the menu bar and the edit button, and while the serial number is displayed, you can, um, the edit, like the copy will change to like copy serial number. Oh, that's, okay. Uh, that's a, I haven't used how to use that's that for so trick. long. It's a good trick. Um, and Apple has an explanation about what happened, which is uh, that battery, some batteries were exposed for too long to controlled ambient air, and which caused <laughs> some problem in terms of a thing we don't understand about how they make batteries, and that's um, I am regularly getting that emails. It sounds like one of those like BS things, like when you're in, there's like turbulence on an airplane and they're like, it hit an air pocket. That, like, that sounds like something like that. We're just like, <laughs> sure, let's blame the air. It's always, bad. it's always the air. I'm sure it's not a lie. But what it's did just, air ever do to you? It sounds like one of those lies you tell children. Uh, I've getting several emails a week. Well, let's say several. Yeah, I think several is accurate to the Mac911 address. Because folks, as you know, you can email Mac911 at macworld.com with iOS and Mac questions and we answer as many as we are straight to Glenn. He knows Straight all to the me and, and a lot of the questions are the same. We have a super fact up that answers a lot of them. And um, the two top questions right now are, uh, why is my Wi-Fi not working? It shows hardware not installed. I have no idea. I, we can't not been able to determine a cause for it. I've got a couple help doc or help things up about how to troubleshoot, but um, I'm not sure if it's a spate or people are finding our articles about it, not getting an answer because we don't have an answer for everything and then writing uh, or if it's that people are having the problem in greater numbers. But the other is uh, folks finding their battery suddenly draining, going from, you know, 90 to 10% or um, watching it like decline as they're using it super fast. And we have some articles up at Macworld.com from, you know, the last few years about what, to ha what happens if your battery is draining too fast and tips about, uh, like, drain it all the way down to 0%, then charge it to 100%, then see if that resets. It can sometimes reset internal, uh, not counter, but sort of an internal state that figures out how much battery life is left. This may work, but uh, people are definitely seeing problems. And again, I don't know if it's because we publish articles about this, people then click through when their problem isn't answered, or if it's because people are having more problems. But definitely hearing a lot about people and their iPhones and battery problems. Yeah, that's really frustrating. I mean, because like that battery is everything. That's the whole, that's the whole life of your phone. It's, um, yeah, and then you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. You're watching it drain. You're like, I just did it. And I used to have this problem more, <clears throat> excuse me, I used to have this problem more with the previous um, models of iPhones. My iPhone 6S, even though it has the battery fault, I have not seen it as much. But sometimes 
I'd use my phone and it would be draining while I'm looking at it. Nothing was going on. I'd reboot it and it would be fine. Or I'd reboot it a couple times and then it would be fine for weeks or months. So um, there's just, you know, oddities, uh, epiphenomena, interactions. Well, the other thing we hear a lot in the winter from people, I mean, I, I live in the Bay Area. It's pretty mild here. We get the same weather all year. So we hear from people, though, that live places where it gets really cold, that that can affect the battery life a lot. Like you go out and your phone just... The battery just drains like it's running out the bottom. So, oh, that's interesting. Um, but that's something that I can't really reproduce. Um, but you know, maybe we'll we'll try to look into that and see if there's some some tips for people that live in cold places. Maybe you need a really furry case oh, for your there phone you go. to keep it as warm as a toasty little fox. Although know. you know, actually, a good good tip is you can get a uh, battery combo warmer, hand warmer. Uh, and, uh, my, my stepmother actually got one at the, uh, uh, she has very cold hands and, um, I forget, I think I showed her, I got one for my wife for maybe holidays last year. You like keep one and in each coat pocket and my just dad stick got your hands one for, in there? Well, it's great cause it'll charge your phone. It's got micro USB connectors. So you have to get an adapter to use your, um, to use a lightning port. She has an iPhone, but it has two heat settings. And so it will either convert a few thousand milliampere hours of power. You can convert it into heat and hold it. Uh, or, and it's really small, or you can use it to charge. So it's got dual function, That's which is pretty cool. Brilliant. I want to get those for everyone on my list now. There you go. They're like, uh, it was 35 bucks last year, I think. And, um, it's a little expensive in terms of battery capacity. And again, it doesn't have a lightning version, but it has a stub cable. So you can kind of plug in whatever you want to a USB type a cable. Um, just needs a little bit, a little bit of love there. Um, yeah. Cool. So, uh, We've got a bunch of not exactly random stories this week, but there's not no, no big one issue. So we're going to talk through a few different things, and we'll, we'll finish up with some USB-C and Display and Thunderbolt 3 uh, kind of troubleshooting and information, stuff about batteries. We'll talk about a few things first. Uh, one is we're getting closer to tamping down the dirt on Flash's grave. Um, sounds like a terrible superhero uh, uh, comic book installment, but it is not. I, I always love the Flash, so I would never want to dance on his grave. We're talking about Adobe Flash, and um, you may have noticed, folks, if you've been using macOS Sierra, which I assume many or most of you have, that Safari for macOS has a different approach uh, that uh, Apple talked about months ago, how they are going to – there are two things. One is they are going to – the browser no longer sends a list of media types when you go to a website. That's a totally standard, long-running thing where browsers will say, look, I know how to read – I know how to display this kind of image and this kind of video file and this kind of audio. And what they did is they actually, Apple reduced the number of media types that are sent to the server. So the server will not try to send flash because it says the the, the browser says I can understand flash. So for websites that, um, that have multiple methods of feeding out video, the idea is you go over there with Safari and the site's going to try HTML5 if it has it, because that should be the dominant thing, not a fallback, right? But so uh, Apple has taken this. Uh, that's one step. And another step they've taken is if you go to a site that only loads Flash, it won't load it automatically the first time you go there. And in fact, you have to click. Like if I go to uh, – oh, so I was watching the Westworld finale, no spoilers, on uh, Sunday. And uh, my kids were awake, and I'm, it's a very bloody – gory show. So I'm like, I'm going to put on headphones and watch it on my laptop while they're doing something else. And I I hadn't used my laptop to at HBO now yet. So I go to the site and it says, Hey, you have to update your browser to include blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh yeah, what do I do? And it says download flash here. So you click the link in Safari rather than taking you to the Adobe site, 
the Safari is intelligent enough to know that you're trying to load Flash. So at that point, it says, hey, this site wants to use Flash. Do you want to do it once only or forever for this site? And I trust HBO now, so sure. So I say forever. Then instead of, again, it doesn't at this point, it doesn't take me to the Adobe site. It reloads the page, and now it allows me to watch Flash in that page. So uh, I really like the approach. Uh, I don't know if you've had... Have, it's like it's such a variable thing what sites use Flash these days. Have you had to run into this or had problems with getting Flash to work in Sierra? Um, no. The thing that I've been having problems with in Sierra um, Safari is like Silverlight. Like oh, it's a mess. The videos in yeah. Silverlight, it'll just say, oh, what, Silverlight? And then there'll be a thing that looks like I can click it to get Silverlight, but I can't. And then I'm just like, you know what? I probably don't even want to put Silverlight on this Mac. And then I just give up. <laughs> I switched to Chrome when that happens. I kind of, you know, you kind of have to swap them. I did just put Chrome on the Touch Bar MacBook Pro. I was trying to avoid it and go Safari all the time, but I just put Chrome on there for every once in a while, like a web form. Like if you're trying to buy something, there'll be like a checkout that just doesn't work. Yes. And then you go over to Chrome and it works just fine. It's so funny. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a huge burden. And I I launched Chrome, I think once every few days for something. And there's occasionally a Chrome uh, like uh, app that has to work inside of Chrome. I have a very few of those, but I do have a couple. And uh, so I'll launch Chrome to use like Authy on the desktop or something like that. I forget okay. the other thing I installed the other day required Chrome Most as well. Of, like I try to stay in Safari most of the time just because it is way easier on the battery life, it seems like, than, you know, its competitors in the browser space. Uh, Chrome is also, Google has updated its approach. It's offering something similar, which they've been, they've had a, a timeline at Google to, phase flash out. It also tries to serve HTML5. And um, we have a story up about how it's not working as reliably yet. Like it still doesn't quite do exactly what's needed. But uh, Google's approach was it's whitelisting the top, I think it's the top 10 sites on the internet that still use flash. So, you know, YouTube and some others, um, although YouTube has converted almost everything to HTML5 is my understanding. Uh, so some sites, you don't need to do anything to display Flash from them. And then uh, as you go down the list, I think it's other sites are – everything blo- should be blocked by default unless you enable it or allow it to display Flash. So we're getting there. Like there's still – there's a lot of old stuff on the net that is just going to die because it was made some years ago in Macromedia Director or um, I don't know what the – Adobe Flash, compo- I can't remember what the software is used to make it. There are different ways to, to create Flash interactive stuff. So all the video is easier to convert because it's a package. And um, a lot of sites relied on you know, Vimeo, uh, YouTube, uh, and a few other places to serve their videos. So that conversion is not a big deal or it requires no effort. Um, but all the interactive stuff, there's a huge part of the net that dates back just a few years. I should say huge part, but a huge part of interactive stuff because – Java never worked exactly as it was supposed to, and it was seen as uh, a bad direction and too difficult early enough on that I don't think there's a lot of lost Java interaction stuff. But Flash was used so extensively um, and Shockwave for so many years that yep. I think we're gonna there's a whole history we're gonna lose. It'll just be gone. And um, all those yeah. restaurant websites. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I think I still go to restaurant websites that use Flash. It's amazing. I know. But, it's like that's the one space where it's just still somebody still sold, a thing. Yeah, there was like a few companies that offered Flash, like a template or, or something. something. They must so have made terrible. it real easy. I mean, I think yeah. I think at the time that Steve Jobs said Flash is dead, 
uh, really, restaurants were the primary usage plus video. I mean, but restaurants were the thing that was irritating. because so they all you, wanted that, like, splash page uh, kind of that you would load and it would look and then it would, like, fade away. And then it's just like, no, I just want to see when you're open and what's right. on the menu. Yeah, like, exactly. that's all I care about. Menu, hours, directions. Boom, boom, yeah, boom. Get me there. It. Let me buy stuff. And then just shut up. Um, well, speaking <laughs> of food, wait, I got to transition. Speaking of food, uh, Amazon has announced a new thing called Amazon Go. Um it was rumored here in Seattle that Amazon that had a sound like food. secret. Well, it is. It's uh, <laughs> there was when I was growing up. There was a travel agency in town that was called Away Travel, and their slogan was "When you go, go away," which I always thought <laughs> was not really. I don't think it had the right sound. I love it. No, uh, it's perfect. Amazon Go is the Apple Store of uh, food shopping. So oh. it's so. I mean, that's what they'd like to think. Uh, so there was a rumor in Seattle. Since, you know, all these Amazon people are circling around, there was a secret project going on at Amazon. It probably had something to do with groceries or dining. And people are like, oh, are they going to do like a Blue Apron competitor, which would make a lot of sense given delivery and warehouse and whatever. Maybe they still will. What was announced is it's like a bodega, you know, like a convenience store that has no checkout. You go in, you like scan a QR code on your smartphone, you take stuff, and then you walk out. And it uses machine intelligence and cameras to figure out what you bought as you walk out the door. And it charges okay. you. So no human interaction. Okay, cool. So you can buy as many. This is where it's going to be so great for so in wait, Washington you, State. You actually scan a code as you walk in. You and scan, then it uses sensors and it just spies on you to see what you take exactly. and then charges so you, you for it. Yeah, you don't have to. It's not like self-checkout. It's no checkout. It just examines what you bought, but you have to scan on the way in or you have to show your code some fashion on the way in. And I don't understand exactly how many employees they'll have or how it'll work. But, you know, the Apple Store notion, I like that there's no checkout because the whole store is this friendly thing. And they, you know, we've had some reports recently, seen video of thieves running into stores and stealing stuff and running out. We're still not clear because most of those things just brick immediately when they're out of a store. So it's unclear why they may be stealing them for parts. Don't know. Um, but Apple's approach, I think in general, it's just a very friendly, very, doesn't feel like you're engaged in commerce, right? You walk in um, and it's like, well, what's the store near you? The Union Square one that has that kind of indoor yeah. outdoor space too. It's like yeah. they're trying to give you the sense. Um, this is something that I thought uh, fake Steve Jobs got right in the book uh, Options. That was, um, I'm blanking out his name, Dan uh, uh, Lyons. Lyons. Thank you. Um, I liked the book. I don't think it was like the best novel of all time, but he had this really great uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't really about Steve Jobs. It's sort of about him. But he had this great thesis that Jobs, um, his fake Jobs at least, had, was trying to synthesize the essence of like Indian Eastern philosophy with commerce and that you didn't get the sense you were buying something as much as buying into a philosophy. And I really liked how it was handled in the book and this notion that, well, we don't want to have a cash register because a cash register intrudes the notion of commerce into this pure so experience. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. But you still interact with someone. You buy something in an Apple store, you have to find someone. You go to a st shelf, you find no, a cable. you can check out with the Apple store app. Oh, that's they right. I the same they, kind of thing. You pull totally up the Apple right. store app on your phone and every time I do it, I feel like I'm breaking the law like every time and I'm like a I'm you know like a you know middle class like white person so I pick up like last time I did it was for one of those doohickey little adapters for the lightning port because there's no headphone jack on my phone um, I went in there and bought one of those and you just yeah you scan it and you can use Apple Pay you know you just log in with to the Apple Store app they already have all your payment information so scan it you pay for it with your thumbprint and then you just kind of pocket it and walk out oh, I forgot I've only done that and once I always feel like I 
I'm getting away with something, but I think there have been reports of, you know, minorities doing this and getting, you know, like, what are you doing? You're stealing those headphones or something. So, and then, you know, like it's, it's very easy to prove, no, no, I just bought this, but like, so something like this, I mean, it's a really cool idea and I think that we should keep looking for those solutions, but sometimes having a human there being like, yes, you bought this, here's your receipt, like go forth law abiding customer, I think is like, you know, a little mental comfort that I'm not ready to just throw in the bin yet just so corporations can save a few dollars. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. I totally, I've only done that once. So I've com- for, forgotten I've the experience. I've done it a few times. And every time I'm like, I, 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 I kind of like sneak out almost being like, who's going to like come after me now. And like, nobody ever does. And I, I'm, I've never done it for anything that costs more than like a cable. So, and yeah, I mean, there might even be like a thing, like if you try to do it with, you know, a $300 pair of headphones, someone might have to come out and be like, here's your receipt. I don't, do they or, put I don't, the, uh, I don't really know. I, do they I put the expensive stuff on the tested floor. It. I mean, they have dry. They have drives that cost hundreds yeah. of dollars. Yeah, yeah it's some funny. Of the things on the shelves are, are kind of pricey. All things, I don't. Yeah, so that's. I mean, I find it unsettling, also, and you know, because I feel like, well, what if I mess up and I haven't paid? Then they check, and then they're like, "Oh, you're a shoplifter." I'm like, "No, I didn't. I thought I scanned it, and it gave me, you know, like the most honest person can wind up feeling uncomfortable." But I was. And thinking I've never of, been like followed in a store and like viewed with suspicion just automatically, just because of the way I look. But there's a lot of people that have that as their everyday experience. So very, something very like good. this, it's like it's super futury and cool, and I think we should keep working on it. But we have to remember that not everyone is like you know. Viewed with total trust all the time, so these like kind of honor systemy things like might not be good for everybody. Well, and Seattle is a, someday we'll get there. Is a very very white city too, so that's yeah. you know, the thing. And I don't know, but like it's also hopefully a city where people wouldn't just be like, oh, look at that kid, he's up to no good, just because you know he's black and he's wearing a hoodie. I would hope, you know, you I never would know, but you, the, you know, it only takes. Yeah, I, I, I watch this with interest, and I hope that it goes really well because it sounds. It, I love futury stuff like this, like it's right up my alley. But just you know, in the last couple of years, like our eyes are being open to like not everyone lives in the same kind of bubble. I love that you're thinking about that. I was thinking more about the like the cre- not the creepiness, but the like. I don't. I want to have a little bit of interaction. sounds like they're super spying on you. Well, I want to have, and I also want to have, I want to have the, like, at least the slightest bit of human interaction, right? I want to believe that when I, it's not even that I need to smile and talk to a clerk. It's more like, I feel like um, there's something, I don't know, there's something very disturbing about the notion of going in a store where there must be employees somewhere. And they show, um, they've got a test one up and running that's only for Amazon employees. It's down, it's not even downtown. It's like near, kind of in the warehouse, well, not warehouse district, it's sort of south of downtown um, as sort of a test store. So I think they probably built it there so they could kind of do it secretly and then open it up. Uh, and so Amazon employees can go in and test it out uh, this year. And then next year, they're going to open it up to beta testers or more people. Um, and there was some report that said they are, you know, they want to roll out 2,000 of these nationwide. And, uh, you know, then people are going to be in the like, okay, is this going to kill the neighborhood bodega? There'll be pricing issues. Will Prime members get some special benefit? It's a very interesting um, push because Amazon avoided sales tax for so long. Then they embraced it because they could use it competitively by building warehouses closely and um, getting tax uh, deals as well. So um, it's a uh, it's a very interesting set of things. But I just – I don't know that I want to go – like for a store like that – 
the advantage of going there and not having to interact with someone, I'd rather go to the two convenience stores that are within five blocks of my house. I mean, if there was an Amazon store within yeah. five blocks, I'd go to one of these that are both of them are locally owned. I mean, I have a different feeling if all of the stores around me were chain convenience stores, but I've got two. I miss my convenience store guys in San Francisco. Oh, yeah? They were yeah. like the kings of the neighborhood. They would like collect people's packages if you were going out of va- on vacation. They'd sell you loose batteries. Like they were just the best. I love those guys and I miss them. I do and like now the I just idea. shop at the quick stop and it's not as oh, fun. Oh, well, yeah, in suburbs. They're nice at the quick stop but, too, but we don't have that bond yet. The, the thing is, I think if Amazon put these in in places where it was otherwise, where there was no, no uh, facility, right? Like Amazon rented a relatively, I mean, they're talking, I think the store is going to be 1800 square feet, the one that's a test store. And I'm not sure how big, like, are these going to be more like small the supermarkets? Test- yeah. Um, but if they put it in places that are underserved and it's like, if you're in a neighborhood, there's all of these urban deserts. Sometimes it's in the middle of relatively affluent places. And sometimes it's where it's, uh, where the incomes are very low, where the incomes are low, it's more likely you get corner stores and bodegas and tiny, tiny shops. But if Amazon provided, um, this is kind of like the motivation to open, uh, grocery stores and large supermarkets that have happened in neighborhoods that are underserved often because they're lower income and it can help transform the neighborhood. People have access to cheaper, healthier, better food, and it becomes a community gathering place as well um, where corner stores can do that, but it's not, there's a difference. Like if you want to buy a good carrot, it might cost you, you know, a buck 50 at the corner store and you don't buy it, but it's 50 cents at the supermarket and, um, and it's, you know, fresher and whatever. So I don't know. I mean, Amazon, tries all kinds of things. It's bookstore concept. They're apparently rolling out more of those. They have some job postings for uh, people to help with uh, opening up more Amazon bookstores, real world bookstores. And there's discussion about whether they're going to have these like uh, pickup places like uh, the Amazon lockers already exist in partnership with uh, like mailbox, et cetera. So I, I don't know if they oh, work yeah, with those them. Are everywhere now. There's like 7-Elevens and yeah, Safeways and everyone's yeah. getting the Amazon lockers. And that I think is sort of, that, that's good because it drives that's genius. people. genius because yeah. then so many people get packages stolen from their house. So if it gets stolen off your porch or you have to get it delivered to work, which annoys the mail guy at work and then you got to schlep it home, the Amazon locker is genius. You have it delivered to a secure locker and then you show up and you punch in a code and like there's your stuff. So it's there 24-7. I mean, as long as like the business with the locker in it is open and they try to put them in, you know, places that are accessible, like really long hours. Um, yeah. You can just swing by at your convenience and pick up your thing and you don't have to be like, Oh, I have to work from home today. Cause I got five packages coming and they'll all get stolen. Well, and you're going to a real world location that's in your neighborhood typically or closer to you and you have interaction with other people and you might actually become a patron of the business that has the lockers. Like I like that. I, I think anytime Amazon yeah, while does I'm here, I'll yeah. get the milk. I yeah. mean, there's an argument that Amazon books didn't, kill like if you look at there's been a resurgence since in the 20 years since amazon has been selling books like you know i was i worked there 20 years ago for about six months very interesting job and uh i think they'd started only selling books a year before so we're a little over 20 years of amazon selling books what it really did is um you know borders went out of business all walden books went out of business uh, Crown Books, I think, then they go under. Um, Barnes & Noble is in this sort of static mode where it's, I think it's in trouble, but it isn't growing or shrinking. Like what Amazon was, some people back when it started predicted that it would kill chain bookstores and not mom and pop. But mom and pops were already dying because of this huge growth of um, chain stores. The number went down precipitously. What's been happening mm. the last few years is independent booksellers have actually seen um, a substantially increased sales relative to the entire uh, bricks and mortar industry or market. And the number of independent bookseller locations has increased also steadily year over year for the last few years. So 
the you know, stable state might be in the future that you have Amazon as the I can get uh, anything from them, including books, and uh, you know often cheaper, and there's a certain convenience price trade off. And the uh, the alternative to it is not going to be the chain store. Uh, there will be some of those, but it's going to be little bit. Costco, which only carries a few books, and then there's the mom and pop store. And so it's weird to see Amazon putting itself into a business where they're going to challenge, you know, mom and pop um, bodegas and things. It's a little, it's a little strange, but we'll see. It's the the. You the know world. what the other thing this reminds me of oh, when they that? talk about like sensors and computer vision technology yeah. to determine which items you take. It sounds like those. Uh, freaking uh mini fridges in the hotels oh, yes, <laughs> like, I hate those. like like if you just kind of bump the diet coke too much like it'll trip the sensor and then you have to like call down to the front desk and be like no i didn't take it out like you can oh come my God, see I've it's never still there in. i thought the housekeeping came through and tallied it is it are there still are there's there ones some that are... that are like sensor based yeah yeah because and then you never figure it out until it's too late you're trying to like kind of shove your leftovers in there like around the cokes being like yeah there's enough room in here and then like yeah you tripped a bunch of sensors so like i just want someone there for the edge case like problems like i want i want someone there to be like hey did are these do these have an allergen or like you know they, they i don't know i have questions right it's like this, if, this if doesn't the entire sound store like it's was, for me was pop food <laughs> the entire store was like the munchie store it's all like um remember cosmo uh, which was great you know you could get like um you know m&ms delivered at midnight when you were stoned or something People still talk about cosmo yeah, it was and just so like hushed reverent tones so, i missed it i got it here after. so much stuff and I, I was not a toker thank you it's legal now in my state so i can talk about it openly but it's um yeah, we legalized but, it but it's like you know the amazon pot store it's like they don't even have to sell pot it's like it's pot it's all the it's just all the munchies you get in the middle of the night like they're like that, we know what you need yeah it's like just, it's just <laughs> row, wall after wall of potato chips and, and ice cream right um I was thinking, you know, I read this article years ago before 9-11, so things changed a bit. But this travel writer, I think for USA Today or something, uh, Peter – Tra- not Travers. Anyway, he wrote this great set of like a bunch of standard tips for when you're traveling to get to get a better experience. And a few of them related to the hotel thing. You can call hotels and ask them to send up a refrigerator and they'll bring one up, like a tiny fridge for you. Did you know yeah, that? I didn't yeah. realize this. And I've done that a couple times when I've been in a hotel for a few days and I'm, I'm eating meals in the room because I'm out meeting and I'm not going, I mean, I'm either being frugal or whatever, or I want a place to put leftovers. I mean, the more hotels now, especially the sweet kind have um, things. The other was never stay in a room above the seventh floor. Cause that's the highest that uh, ladder trucks can get to. Uh, <laughs> and one, the other was take the goddamn counterpane that like coverlet off your bed when you get there. Cause it's never cleaned. Yeah. So there you go. There you go, folks. Little tips, little Good travel tips. tips. Thanks. Uh, speaking of travel, wait, here's my transition travel. Uh, Apple car go. No. Um, if Amazon go and Apple car probably no, but um, this interesting little story came out that um, Apple had talked to the, um, you know, the department of uh, trans uh, transportation about um, their excitement uh, they had filed in comments. National uh, Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, the NHTSA. Um, they, the, uh, the director of product integrity, which I didn't realize Apple had. Apple is investing heavily in the study of machine learning automation and is excited about the potential of automated systems in many cases, including transportation. Um, there's a this is such a big area. I mean, Apple's place in it is going to be interesting. There's this whole issue about you know, especially in this election cycle, about returning certain kinds of jobs. To America, where automation has replaced them more than, say, offshoring, or maybe they were offshore, but now they're automated. Um, one of the big fears that is coming is that automated trucking, you know, maybe within 10 mm-hmm. years, there could be millions of self-driving trucks on the road. And where do all those above average, middle class, 
placement jobs yeah. go. And so Apple saying Stephen is Stephen Hawking just wrote an op-ed about that. He was like, artificial intelligence is going to do to middle-class jobs oh. what automation did to like blue-collar jobs, and you're all screwed. But although there has <laughs> been, I mean, there, there's the argument that the jobs don't go away, they change. They often become lower-skilled uh, and pay less is the problem. So it's And so some people move up. So all the people, there's millions and millions of people involved in, who make a ton of money doing software and hardware and so forth for these systems, those jobs pushed up. Those jobs didn't exist before. And um, so that's where some of the value went. And some of it goes down. People get paid less because it's a less skilled job. So um, Apple just describing the issue of transportation is an interesting space to carve out. Um, so I don't know. We, yeah, we're going to have a lot of surplus. It's like uh, surplus um, uh, brain power, surplus people. It's going to be hard to figure out how it shakes out when it changes that fast. I think there's a lot of people keep saying five to 10 years, we're going to see a rapid transformation, but they've been saying that for so long that uh, the fo- I think a lot of the odds are that it's going to take more like 20 years. So we'll have more of a gradual transformation into a, um, a self-driving car, self-driving truck world. And, um, and it will be harder than the edge cases will be so hard that it will reduce costs. Like I'm imagining, and I've read some discussion about this, that a robotic truck won't necessarily be driverless. It will be mostly automated and a driver will be, will, it will be less strain on the driver and it'll be vastly safer because the driver yeah. won't have to be putting in the hours. So they'll probably get paid less, but the job will be less bad for them and it'll be easier to get people to do it. So there's actually shortages. You see signs all over the place. We need drivers um, because the job is very hard. Uh, it's very wearing yeah. and it's a lot of time home away. A lot of time it's wasted where you're waiting in lines and crud and not getting paid. So that economic uh, thing could change. But um, the edge cases, the edge cases, that's where you need to I mean, beings. this is exciting because we, we hadn't had like official confirmation from Apple that they, you know, Project Titan was even a thing. Like it's been talked about for a while and, um, and, and it's still not really clear. Like Apple didn't say in its letter, like, by the way, we're making a car. By the way, we're not making a car. We're making a platform. <laughs> but it's like this is Apple talking about, you know its car project pretty much. Right. So this is this is pretty cool. It's cool. I mean, I think we've talked about it a lot, but I think it feels like it's shaken out that Apple may be providing technology or providing some kind of thing that will snap into cars rather than building a car. But we'll see. It's got there's That's a lot of time and they got a lot of money. Sure. Yeah. They got a lot of money. Um, one area they do not have so much money is revenue from Wi Fi products because <laughs> I'm just You're Mr. Transition. Mr. Segway. Mr. Segway, that's me. Um, we know uh, that there's reports that we talked about last week that Apple has disbanded its internal router base station group, um, and uh, we don't have any more news I think on if that. If those were wrong, they would have said something. They often they don't do always push correct back. wrong yeah. rumors, but like if it's like they're cutting a whole product line and that's like just total malarkey, I think they would have been like, no, those are great. Expect something soon. And they'd be cagey about it, but I think they would like confirm if they were, if, if it was completely wrong that they were cutting all this. I, I agree. I think if they had, I think either it's true or they have some new thing they're working on they don't want to talk about so they're not yes. saying either they could be replacing it with something that's just not ready yet and then they might not say anything but um and but, but or they could kind of tease it they've done that before too yeah it's um i agree i think they've they've hinted at things um, i believe this rumor is what i'm saying i do i do too because i you know i there are people who i used to interact with there who i haven't heard from in years and i sometimes send apple queries about wi-fi stuff and i get uh, no information back at all, which is rare. Usually if I ask them about a subject, I get something. Um, so, uh, but so there's a lot of interest right now in 
from people, uh, I'm getting a lot of re- a lot of questions from people who either own Apple Gear now and are dissatisfied with it, or they need to replace part of it, or they want to extend a dead spot. And like, how do they do that? So I'll have an article uh, coming up sometime soon about um, alternatives, like what what you can do. But I'll especially focus on the idea of that you may already have Apple routers, or you have mostly iOS and Apple devices, or entirely like what's the best solution there? Um, because you have to give up a little bit, um, but not. A lot and trouble is it's not like it's cheaper um michael brown has a review today uh that we've got up at Mac, uh, tech hive we've got a, the, a version of it at MacWorld about google's new wi-fi routers which are different than their on hub routers they introduced months ago uh and google wi-fi you buy you know a few units of it um there's just another set announced today there's the eero routers there's a lot of folks trying this mesh approach where the routers talk to each other and figure out what they need to do you don't have to do any configuration on them. You just kind of, you, you plug them in. Uh, they sort out the best signal strength and configuration and that's it. But you can wind up spending 250 to $400 easily for a house. That's, you know, two to 3000 square feet. If you're in a small apartment or a smaller house, I'm in a smaller house on one floor. We've got a basement that I work out of. Um, so we only have 1200 square feet in our main floor and that, and I could fit that with one, base station, but because of our basement configuration, the spare room, um, we have three in our house just to provide enough coverage wherever we go. So you're not going to spend necessarily less with this other equipment, but you will fuss with it less is the idea. Yeah. And they sell a three pack for 300. So they're sort of like, no, that I think that's the trend now that people want, like when Wi-Fi first started, you know, it was okay to just sort of have it like, you know, your strong Wi-Fi is like over there. But now it's like we were carrying around all of these things and then all the smart home things and everything needs a really good signal all the time. It's frustrating when your phone works better in one room of your house than in another. So I think people are just starting to be more, you know, resigned to having to put up multiple routers and now we're seeing these smaller cheaper easier to set up kind of multi-pack routers i like it i think apple should go this way because like we said in an earlier podcast i still want to cling to airport utility yeah i think that's the thing is and well and the advantage is all these new systems have sophisticated front-end interfaces so you're not going to deal with the uh as i think we were talking about before like i have a tp link uh router and it's got a horrible ugly web-based interface and tp tp link could radically transform how it approaches the market by having a separate gui which requires software development but they have enough they are selling enough products they could do it they could have a unified front end the secret of most companies that make lots of wi-fi and other gear is that they don't build this all internally. They often license reference designs and they modify them and apply their own software or their own secret sauce, or they they look at a reference design from one company and they get a bespoke version of it. So, um, you know, Apple and Google and uh, Eero and these other companies are making stuff from scratch. And I should say, you know, companies like Netgear, Netgear has a lot of equipment. It makes absolutely um, d- designs from scratch. Although I suspect in the Netgear lineup, I think they've reduced it. They used to have stuff that was pretty clearly, you know, it was private label, like it's labeled Netgear, but a lot of the innards were the same as, you know, 15 other devices. Uh, and Linksys, uh, division of Cisco, which I think they may just call Cisco Home now or something, um, that they also make, you know, custom gear. But somebody like TP-Link, it's really clear they push out so much hardware. They are not, I mean, I may be wrong, and I apologize if I am, but based on my understanding of the industry, a lot of the brands you see out there are just pushing out um, modified and customized versions of the same stuff. So they don't build software on top of it because they might be working with multiple different code bases from different providers that are building the things that they label. 
Um, and th- like I say, that's trained. So when you go with a company like Eero, it's a startup. They're building, you know, they're designing all the hardware. They're optimizing everything. Um, you know, they're buying chips from various companies. They're probably making some chips themselves. And they're building a GUI that sits on top of it. So they're not relying on you having a web browser or whatever. But on the other hand, you have to use, you know, say a smartphone to configure it. Um, I think Google on Hub only had Android and iOS versions. And the trend is, I think, to only have Android and iOS, no like Mac OS, Windows, uh, Linux, whatever front end, no web version or web app version. Um, that may be changing too, but I think for folks who are not smartphone centric, um, that's an issue. So we'll talk more about that as well. Uh, I have no transition for this. <laughs> we, we talk, this is, I want to move on to a kind of a battery and display issues um, before we finish up um, because uh, getting a lot of queries about uh, USB-C and Thunderbolt 3. We haven't talked about it for a few weeks. Can you believe that? Um, oh. But it keeps going on. Uh, someone sent me this wonderful – well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. It's a display port thing I want to link people to. But um, I just reviewed – uh, well, two things. One review is up, and I don't think the other is. That Aukey, A-U-K-E-Y, has a battery out uh, a few weeks ago, and I finally was able to test. It takes a long time to test these high-capacity batteries. I have to reserve time to, like, drain them and charge them and then drain my laptop and recharge it. So uh, I'm not really complaining. This is my job, and I like it. But it's like I need to have, like, a week where all I do is make sure I'm shepherding and watching numbers on, you know, I've got monitors that are looking at batteries. I've got monitors on my computers that are charting things. Um, and so it's it's just complicated to test the bigger they get. So this is a 30,000 milliampere hour, 111-watt-hour uh, uh, USB battery. I reviewed one a few months ago from uh, Zero Lemon that was kind of big and awkward and didn't have a lot of charging outputs. It was it didn't charge that rapidly over USB-C even. I think it maxed out at 2.4 amps, which is fairly low. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, But it was a reasonable price, and it had a high capacity. It was the same 30,000 milliampere hours. Uh, so I gave a positive review to that just for capacity. If you really need to be off the grid – and charge devices and a USB-C laptop is kind of your only choice. This Aki battery is 50 bucks. It has USB-C at three amps at, at five, or sorry, yeah, three amps at five volts. So it's a 15 watt USB-C output. Uh, it also does quick charge 3.0 across a bunch of voltages. So if you have Android phones or other devices that use Qualcomm standards, you can charge those at up to um, I forget what the top rate is. It's like 30 watts, maybe. I forget. It's got, or not 30 watts, 15. It's got a really nice Three range. Amps. Range uh, for that. Well, it's two. It has these things where uh, quick, uh, quick Charge 3.0 does uh, higher voltages and lower amperages because it's harder to carry a higher amperage over a cable, uh, but it's okay. not as hard to carry a higher voltage, is what I understand. You need special cables when you up the amps because of the, um, it, you need to have higher uh, uh, gauge cables that are tested more. Uh, more uh, uh, effectively. Uh, so if you have Quick Charge 3 device and a USB-C device, it's great. Um, and uh, 50 bucks is good. The problem is, like all the USB-C batteries I've tested, none of them that are shipping support USB Power Delivery 2.0, which allows um, delivering power above this 15 watts. And um, I did test, uh, you may remember I was talking about the Moz Go some months ago. Um, mm-hmm. This is a battery that... I got a beta version of the company was preparing to ship it. So I tested it. And then before we published our reviews, they said, you know, we had enough feedback during the beta cycle. We are going to pull this from production and retool because we need to fix things we've heard from people. Um, and then we're going to come back out. The Moz Go did support USB 
power uh, two, power delivery 2.0 and on my macbook 12 inch macbook it could deliver 30 watts which is the same as the power adapter 29 or 30 watts uh same as the ac power adapter so you could charge the thing i think i could charge my laptop in two hours from the battery um but it was relatively it was low. asleep no, no, and the the Moz Go would let you charge it while it was awake. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. <clears throat> That's the difference. Sorry. The, at 15 watts, you can't even charge a MacBook, uh, a 12 inch MacBook, which only needs a 29 watt input to charge at full speed. At 15 watts, it will not charge while. I mean, even lowest battery, lowest uh, uh, screen setting, everything put to sleep and everything, while it's awake and you're using it, it just won't charge. I've got a battery monitoring app that I look at, and I, I've tried different things just to make sure I'm not missing something. You have to go over some threshold before it will actually charge. However, the Aki, you know, is 30, um, 30 ampere hours. You can charge a MacBook uh, at least one and a half times, and you could charge a MacBook Pro, a 13-inch, at least once, maybe more. Uh, and you could charge maybe even um, – you actually, I'm sorry. You could charge almost – I'm sorry. I, mean, my, I have this all the numbers <clears throat> excuse me, in the story, but uh, the yeah. uh, the MacBook uh, – I think it's actually getting almost, almost two full charges of a 12-inch MacBook. Um, but the uh, advantage there is that let's say you're taking an overnight flight someplace. You have a 12-hour, 16-hour flight, or you're going to be away from outlets for a long period of time. While your laptop's in your bag, while you're asleep or reading a book or something, you plug it into the charger and you get about, my ratio is about two hours of usage time for every hour you're charging it. So that's fair. You know, you might have to, it gets you, if you've got a, you know, a 16 hour flight and you charge it for a few hours in the middle, a couple times, you can use your laptop the whole time. It's just, you can't use it while you're charging it. So and if you get that USB-C to lightning cable, that, which I love, um, you could charge your iPad or your iPhone from the same batteries. So then that's really handy for that long flight because you don't, you could use whatever device you feel like using and you could just change your mind and be like, okay, I'm just going to use my laptop till it dies or I'm going to switch to my iPad and it'll charge anything. So yeah, it's great. This is the trend that I love in batteries. Um, and this is why I like USB-C. And this one has the, uh, it has two, um, as USB-C for charging and recharging. So you can recharge the battery with a USB-C power adapter at the same 15 watts. So it takes a while. Uh, 15 watts is not that fast. So it takes hours and hours to recharge something this big. They should have offered, um, well, I guess I'm not being, I'm being unfair, but it seems like this is going to be an advantage with power delivery 2.0 also is that the batteries, these USB battery packs will recharge super fast. So you get into an airport, you plug it in for an hour and you might be able to recharge it, you know, a quarter or halfway full and then use that on the next flight or trip too. So it becomes, it becomes a relay of charge as well. Um, I mean, I don't know how oh, many. It has Type A ports. It you don't type, even need oh, the yeah. special cable. It has Never mind. two. Well, you can use well, you can use USB C cable and get, I think, a, a faster performance. Is yeah, the thing. I think it's faster. Um, yeah. But it has a yeah. The quick quick charge quick charge 3.0 is over USB Type A, and that port will deliver um, uh, the, the normal amount to those devices. And it has a 2.4. I think both the Type A ports will deliver up to 2.4 amps. Um, at five volts. So they can charge an iPhone or iPad at the full voltage. Uh, iPad pro would require the USB-C cable to um, do the higher voltage that it can, or higher wattage that it can accept. So it's a really neat item. And so people did ask, they said, uh, after the review went up, they said, look, you know, why would I buy something that I have to sleep 
my computer to charge it? And my answer is really that, is that we don't have anything better. This is the best thing you can buy. It's the cheapest. It's very well designed. Uh, it does exactly what it should within the limits before we get power delivery 2.0 devices. So if you're going to be away from a power source for a long time and you have a USB-C equipped laptop, this is pretty much the only thing you can get that'll help. So um, that's the logic. Good. Um, cool. Oh, I want to point out our friends at The Wire Cutter, which is now part of The New York Times, uh, did a roundup of USB-C recommendations. And uh, I've reviewed a number of things that are more like, you know, we've reviewed docks and batteries and uh, some adapters. They looked at some of the fussier stuff that I haven't gone down into, which is their specialty, too. And they looked at a ton of the small, inexpensive, like type A to type C adapters. Um, some power cables, a few other things. So we covered, there's some overlap. You can read my review and their review of uh, some docs. But if you're looking for recommendations um, of uh, like some of the fussy stuff that you need to make a USB-C device uh, laptop uh, work, um, we'll have a link to the wire cutter. Uh, last thing we can talk about here is um, DisplayPort. DisplayPort and um, USB-C. Uh, a fella, Adam Miller, sent me a link this morning because he was asking, he's like, I want to, uh, Susie, have people been asking you, I don't know, I'm the USB-C guy. So they asked me this. I want to hook up my old uh, DisplayPort, mini DisplayPort Apple monitor to my new MacBook Pro. How do I do that? You gotten this question? Uh, no. You're lucky. Let me tell you. You're lucky. <laughs> it's, I'm totally, you know, I'm actually totally cool. People ask me that. And my answer has been, there's just, and we've talked about it before, so I won't go in the same depth, listeners. I don't want to bore you. Um, there is some chipset issue between Apple's choices with um, different versions of the cinema display that have mini display port. Then there's the Apple Thunderbolt display that uses a mini display port style connector for Thunderbolt 2. Um, and uh, there's only one dock that I've tested that will work only with the 2015 12-inch MacBook and only with the mini display port style um, Apple Cinema display, not the Thunderbolt display. So people have been saying, like, look, you know, we should be able to do this because you can do Thunderbolt this and this and this and this. Is there a way? And I've looked at weird combinations that I don't own an Apple Cinema display, so I cannot test it directly. Adam Miller had asked me some questions. He said, look, I got this to work. And um, folks, you should find this. Uh, it's, we'll have it in the show notes. Um, people have asked our show notes. You go to macworld.com and look for the podcast or at the SoundCloud page. We have the show notes there too. Embedding show notes into- I don't think they're really on the SoundCloud page. Are they not? Oh, well, then come to macworld.com. Someone asked yes, uh, last time and why they're not just in the file, which I feel like all my good podcasts just put them in the file. And um, when I just kind of inherited this podcast and went with the workflow that they were using. So, um, but I looked into it and it seems like it's not that hard. So oh, good. this okay. is the episode. I'm going to try to embed those show notes in the file and we'll see how that Excellent. goes. Well, podcast players. So if they're there, it worked. If they're not there, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out and I'll try again next week. But it seems like it's it's easier than I thought it would be. Yeah, SoundCloud is a little funny. SoundCloud is really great to, uh, to do podcasts. I have podcasts, to put in the show notes and then I'll upload it to SoundCloud, which I can do. It's going to add a couple steps, but oh, I, I love you guys, so I'll do it. Aww. Um, I think a lot of podcast players before maybe a year and a half, two years ago, didn't um, make URL links live or made it hard to get to show notes too. And then that became yeah. a thing and chapterization as well. Um, the players are getting so good. Yeah. I don't know if they'll be like, cha I don't oh, think don't there'll do be chapters. chapters. We, we don't need chapters. We're too freeform. But yeah, but you'll be able to, I mean, I use pocket casts, I think. And like from the thing, I can slide over to one side and see my queue and I can slide over to the other side and see the show notes for the thing I'm listening to. And they have links and it's really handy. You can see what we're, what the heck we're talking about so thank you for that request and um i'm Listen. gonna 
try my darndest. We listen to you. So Adam Miller, he's on Twitter. He's at Adam Miller with an, and then an S at the end. If you're trying to find the account to find this photo, if you can't find our link, he made this work. 2016 MacBook Pro. USB-C to DisplayPort. That's full-size DisplayPort. There's a lot of adapters like that you can get. Then he's using a DisplayPort to mini DisplayPort cable. Again, standard item. I've got a couple around here. Then, then he's using a mini DisplayPort female-to-female junction box that he apparently bought. That plugs into a 2011 Apple, uh, what's called it, mini DisplayPort monitor. I don't know if that's a cinema display, whatever it is. It has a non-Thunderbolt output, and it works, and it works. So um, it's not ridiculously expensive. The USB-C to DisplayPort adapter should be, I don't know which one to use, but it should be in the uh, $20 to $30 range. The cable is probably $10, and the uh, mini DisplayPort female to female is probably in the $10 to $20 range. So it's somewhere between $40 to $60 for that whole apparatus. Might be even cheaper um, to get that on the low end. You plug that all together, and you can use your DisplayPort. So, folks, if you're doing this, um, post comments. You know, you can find us uh, Facebook.com/slash/MacWorld if you want to leave uh, comments and things, or send us email podcast at MacWorld.com. Find us on Twitter at MacWorld. Let us know if you tried this because um, there are I I don't know how many of these cinema displays with DisplayPort standard only, not Thunderbolt two that are out there. Um, if you have a Thunderbolt Apple Thunderbolt monitor. You can, and you have a new MacBook Pro with Thunderbolt 3, you can use the Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 3 adapter with the Apple Thunderbolt display. That's listed and yeah. supported. They do not support any DisplayPort-only monitors through that. So that's the confusing yep. part. But Apple may have sold millions. I don't know. Maybe they sold millions of the uh, mini DisplayPort. I've certainly gotten dozens of queries about this, people either who bought a MacBook, a 12-inch MacBook, which cannot. Oh, I still have that one. I use it all the time. Yeah. I'm not using it with my 13-inch MacBook, so. Well, that's funny. Well, the, the, um, also, the 12-inch, this is a, um, this solution, by the way, is not a Thunderbolt 3 solution. It's a USB-C solution, so you should be able to do this with a 12-inch MacBook of any vintage, uh, assuming there's not a chip problem, and any of the new MacBook Pros with uh, Thunderbolt 3 over USB-C. I want to try. Um, I had an interesting conversation. I think I told you last week about uh, just about the whole, the confusion at the, the USB inter- implementers forum is trying to get the word out about, you know, type C is just literally the connector. And then there's all these standards that work within it. But like, yeah. it's very like Thunderbolt three is a alternate mode for USB C. So the USB standard runs over USB C Thunderbolt three display port, um, the standard like MHL, it's like a high-resolution standard used with mobile devices. So Apple doesn't do this, but uh, I think it's Android phones. You can get an adapter that lets you plug directly from your Android phone into or tablets into a, uh, a HDTV set or a monitor over uh, HDMI, I think. Um, and that's a standard that's supported inside of USB-C as, or it's a, as an alternate mode to USB-C. Confusing, but a great photo. Thank you, Adam Miller, for sending that in because that was really, really Hilarious and awesome. You know, the other reason I haven't really cared that I haven't found a solution to hooking up my cinema mode, uh, my cinema display with the um, DisplayPort mini DisplayPort out to the new computers is that it's not a Retina screen. <laughs> and oh yeah, it's super the low res display. compared to yeah. Yeah, so like uh, it's I have. 
this is the first Retina Mac that I've been using as my like everyday Mac. I'm using the 13-inch Touch Bar Pro right now, and it's ruined me for every other screen. So uh, yeah, even though I have so much less space to work with, like physical space, I don't feel like I even care about hooking up my external display anymore. So Apple, yeah, I don't know. So I guess those LG 4K displays are finally shipping. So oh, good, yeah. um, my next uh, wish list thing is we're going to try to call in a bunch of those and figure out how to how to review those because yeah it's the dawn of the Colin, super high res displays i don't want to use another display that isn't really really high res call in four of those and test them on one macbook one fifteen inch macbook pro i want to see how that works i mean four 4k displays is a pretty astonishing thing you used to have to plug in all i mean it was effectively impossible without add-on cards with older Macs. And I think even now, if you want to do four 4K displays it's on a PC four? setup, you got to do a whole bunch of work. What? What's that? It's four, really? Four 4K displays. The the wow. the 13-inch MacBook has a single USB-C, or sorry, Thunderbolt 3 controller, and it can support two 4K displays or one 5K display. The 15-inch MacBook Pro it not only has um, four ports, um, four USB-C ports, but it also has two separate Thunderbolt 3 chains. So two 5K displays or four 4K displays, which is ridiculous. Yep, you're so right. So I, I think you should test that because that's ridiculous. That uh, is ridiculous. There are environments in which that's useful. To have you know two makes sense, and then four, there's going to be- I need a new desk. Like, I don't even think my desk can hold I don't know. You have to get some <laughs> and set up. I mean, that's where two 5K displays makes more sense than four 4K. But I, there, are, there are editing and monitoring other environments where it's going to make sense to have, you know, three, maybe about four. It's, I think it's just Apple's showing the capacity of it. Um, the, uh, the thing I would mention is that uh, 4K is getting cheaper. That's what I wanted to say. I have a ViewSonic that I bought a few months ago. Um, I had a regular... Uh, you know, standard definition monitor um, on my Mac. And I started because I'd gotten the MacBook, I, you know, I really would be switching between using a laptop with retina and then all my non retina daytime usage. And it's kind of makes you, it makes it hard in the eyes. When you use retina, it retrains your eyes on what to expect. And then everything looks blocky. And this is a, a worry when you switch to higher resolution stuff. Um, so because I was testing all of these uh, USB-C docks that do 4K output, I really needed to test 4K performance and see how it worked when I had a 4K monitor connected and was testing uh, USB 3 drives at the same time. So I bit the bullet and bought a relatively affordable one. I think it was a little over $400. Really love it. Um, nice. Works great. You know, it's got multiple inputs. Works great on my, uh, I've got a 2014 Mac Mini. I'm running a 4K on uh, one port, and I'm running a standard def uh, a standard definition uh, monitor. I forgot the resolution, an old Dell on another that I kind of have like email and toolbars and other crap on. <laughs> Just throw throw over to the second monitor. Um, two monitor display is often very nice, and uh, so not not ridiculously expensive. Um, one last thing I wanted to bring up because uh, someone wrote me recently. Actually, got a couple emails recently about using iMacs for. Uh, as a display, which, uh, as you know, uh, Apple introduced years ago, this thing, I've forgotten the name of it. It's called, oh, I put it in the show notes wrong, it's Target Display Mode, TDM, which is, you know, like Target Disk Mode. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, they, it was, like, really short-lived. Like, it was around for a generation or two, and then they killed it. No, you know what's funny? Okay, so this is the thing. They, I don't think they, I think they stopped promoting it as a feature. If you look at Apple's list of support, it is... Um, uh, yeah, it ranges the the. Uh, it's from starts in late 2009 with the 27 inch iMac. It goes to the mid 2012 to mid 2014 Thunderbolt iMacs. All support oh, this. Oh, you know what? There was like 
some of the iMacs for a very short time, didn't they have like an HDMI in port or something? That or I don't something remember. where you could you could use a monitor, you could use an iMac like as a display. Well, the mode I, I vaguely remember that the mode uh, works with Mini DisplayPort to Mini DisplayPort or Thunderbolt uh, to Mini DisplayPort, depending on the device. And uh, I got email from someone because they were trying to uh, you know do some kind of setup, and they realized their iMac was actually old enough. They had a pre two thousand nine or pre twenty seven inch two thousand nine iMac didn't support target display mode, um, and they were looking for alternatives. So there's this interesting thing that most, uh, probably the bulk of iMacs that are still in use support this. The new USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 Macs cannot, from what I can tell, cannot use target display mode. Apple doesn't seem to list that as an mm. option. Um, it may be, if you have a Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 uh, or Thunderbolt 3 or USB-C connector, maybe. I don't have an iMac of that vintage. I can't test it out. And Apple isn't, Apple's doing that thing where they don't state it can, and it seems like they they l- did not include it in the options um, of what's supported. Uh, however, uh, the one uh, thing you can do, I'd forgotten about this, um, Air Display is a software that lets you use. I remembered it did iOS as an external monitor. So on a Mac, you can actually use a, a, a iPad as essentially an additional monitor, which is cool. Uh, I forgot it also works with uh, Macs. So you can have, uh, if you had a laptop and you want to use your iMac as a monitor and the target display mode isn't an option, you can install Air Display. You put the host software on the Mac, which is free. And the client software is, uh, it's a 20 buck license for Mac, 15 buck for iOS, and you can use it on any linked, any account that's, uh, you know, linked to your uh, Apple ID or it's like a single license uh, and you can support up to four monitors. So if you wanted to do four uh, Macs as external monitors or four iOS displays or some mix, uh, you can, which gets kind of ridiculous. I think they do that for flexibility. Um, and also I think some people may use Air Display to push like uh, billboards or kiosk stuff because you could have one Mac somewhere and have the screen be displaying updates elsewhere, multiple screens displaying the same thing or whatever. Cause you can use mirroring mode, uh, mirror mode for that. So um, Air Display from Avatron Software, a very easy solution if you're trying to turn your Mac into an external monitor for another Mac. And I think we've reached the end of our topics for this week. Nice. Anything else? No, no surprise announcements. Tuesday when we record this, as usual. So you're listening to this later in the week, and nothing surprising has happened, right? And then probably Wednesday, Apple will announce all the new AirPod Mac. Watch 2016 oh, yeah, continues. Yeah. Yeah. Or Apple will ship uh, new Mac Pros tomorrow or something. So. Uh, We'll catch up if so. Uh, so, Susie, great to talk to you another week. I hope the sore throat improves. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in again. We always appreciate what you have to say. As you can tell in this episode, we got a lot of good uh, reader feedback, listener feedback. Uh, so you can always email us. As I said, podcast at macworld.com. Find us at facebook.com slash macbook. And you can leave comments. Macbook. Macworld. We're Macworld. Not a Macbook. Facebook.com slash Macworld. I'll get it right one of these days. Um, and, you know, I'm at Glenn F, G-L-E-N-N-F on the Twitter. And Susie is S-F-S-O-O-Z, Z like Z. Uh, you can find us there. <laughs> Maybe I'll put those in our special in-show show notes That's right. if I get that sort. Right. But uh, tell us what you think. Uh, looking for feedback. We're, you know, especially when it's a quiet period for other things, we're, you know, we'll cover a little more news broadly like Amazon Go that affects people who our iOS and Mac users, but we're also looking for things you're trying to uh, investigate and sort out. And, um, you know, the Mac 911 address, Mac 911 at macworld.com is where I get all these questions and I can only answer a subset of them. And some of them are answering our facts, but we're eager to hear what's not working right so we can help you with it. 
And uh, this has been the Macro Podcast, episode 537 for December 7th, 2016. I've been Glenn Fleischman, and I will remain that for the foreseeable future. Thanks for listening.